You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. As the young folks are welcome to head back to Junior Church, they don't have to. Uh, I'm so thankful for our youth workers and nursery workers and so forth. In Nehemiah chapter number 6, we've been looking at the life and work of Nehemiah. And we've discovered how God uses, how about this, God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. I think that's good news. In fact, the Lord has placed each of us on this earth for a divine purpose and to find incredible joy in knowing Jesus and making Him known. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I'm so glad that I am a part of the work of God. So what Jesus is doing is He's working through our lives, helping us to build a life that brings glory to God and blessing to those around us. Now, I wish that was the end of the story sometimes. In other words, man, God's wanting to use you, an ordinary person, do extraordinary things. You're on this planet for a reason to know Christ, to make Him known, to find the ultimate joy and peace that there is in knowing Him. But the rest of the story, as we've also found out in Nehemiah, is that there's an enemy that at every turn keeps rearing their head trying different tactics to get us off of track, to to discourage the work that God is trying to do in our lives. And Jesus let us know that we have a real enemy named Satan. And it says about Satan that he came to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible says that Satan walks about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. I mean, a lion that's working and and praying and looking for someone vulnerable that he can uh, uh, pounce upon. But one thing after the other that we've seen is that God has shown how that we can have the victory and that God can continue continue to accomplish the work. I mean, we've all been against it, have we not? We've all fought battles. We've all had to face the enemy. We've all faced multifaceted attacks come from every which way. But one time after the other, God shows us how we can have have the victory. But it's interesting. Because today we're introduced to yet another scheme, another tactic of the enemy to get you and me off track, to discourage us from the work that God's trying to get us to do. And how many of you would believe that Satan wants to use a preacher to get you off track? He's wanting to use someone in in Nehemiah. We're going to see there's a man whose job it was to stand before the people and proclaim, Thus saith the Lord. And this was the man that the enemy is now going to use. So look in Nehemiah chapter number 6, verses 10 through 14, as we continue our study in Nehemiah. The Bible says, Afterward I came into the house of Shimeiah, the son of Deliah, the son of uh, Methabel, who was shut up, and he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. 
I'll just give you what's going on there. The prophet, Shemaiah, he, uh, he, he's been hiding out in his house. And word gets to Nehemiah, hey, the prophet's hiding out in his house and won't come out. So Nehemiah goes by and says, man, what's going on? He says, Nehemiah, I'm glad that you came by. I'm hiding in here because they're out to get us. I'm hiding in here because the enemy is coming to destroy both of us. So I'm glad you're here. So now, come on, leave. We need to get out of here and we need to get to the sanctuary. We need to get to the holiest, most innermost part of the temple and so that we can protect ourselves from the coming enemy. So, I mean, sounds, I guess, reasonable enough on the surface. But notice what it says as we continue into verse number 11. And I said, That's easy for you to say. Should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Because notice verse 12. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him. So here's a prophet, here's a preacher, if you will, that Nehemiah says, God has not sent this man. But that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was in it for the money, amen? He was getting paid. He was, he was thinking about payday, and, but he was hired by the enemy to speak against Nehemiah. Again, verse 13, Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. All right, so... With that in mind, I want to try to preach on the thought just a little bit this morning on beware of false prophets. We are repeatedly warned in the New Testament about false prophets and false teachers. As a matter of fact, if, if, I, if we wanted to today, I could spend the remainder of our time just simply reading the different verses that warn us about false teachers and false prophets and give a comment or two, and that would fill the remainder of our time. And that would be, there'd be a benefit to that. But rather than do that, I want to try to show you a few of these. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. Not everything that comes along carrying a Bible and speaking about God is of God. They may sound good. They may look good. But not everyone is a prophet of God. He said they're going to come and they're going to be like ravening wolves even though they're in sheep's clothing. He warned in Matthew 24 verse 5, Many shall come in my name, talking about the last days, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Paul cautioned that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, Now, I want to to jump in here real quick on this. Deceitful workers, okay? I say beware of false prophets 
The, the prophet that Nehemiah is dealing about, he's a deceitful worker. He's a false prophet. Not everyone that is teaching false doctrine is really a false prophet in the true sense of the word. These are deceitful workers. But there's some workers that are just simply deceived workers. Many of you, for your entire lives, you were brought up in a church where there was a deceived worker. They weren't a deceitful, evil person that was trying to teach you contrary to the Word of God that there were other ways to get to heaven. They, they, weren't, they weren't conniving and saying, I'm going to teach them that through baptism and, and being a member of this church and through giving money, they're going to get to heaven. They just believe that themselves. And they're, they're the, you know what Jesus called them? Like the Pharisees. I don't see a place where Jesus ever called the Pharisees false prophets. But you know what he did say about them? They're the blind leading the blind. But I, I make that distinction, but ultimately that which is being taught is dangerous regardless. But here, so we're going to talk a little bit about both. Um, but, and I'm not going to probably distinguish anymore after this too much. But he says, such are deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel. In other words, it's, it's, it's nothing amazing. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So how, you know, I, I, I remember if there was nothing else that my aunt taught me, I've shared it with some of y'all a hundred times, but, but I remember as a little kid uh, that I always, I watched Looney Tunes. And wasn't it something that owned Looney Tunes? Uh, I think it was on Looney Tunes. I mean, didn't Daffy Duck go to hell in Looney Tunes? Remember that? I'm pretty sure, I'm seriously. And, and, he, and he goes to hell and there's Satan with, the, with you know, he's red. And, and, uh, and by the way, did you know, did you know Bugs, Bunny, Bugs Bunny blew somebody away from mocking him while he was playing the piano one time? Playing Beethoven? Anyway, and it, that, by the way, that didn't make me want to go kill anybody. I just got to say that. Uh, but, but the picture of the devil was this red man with horns and the pitchfork and the ha 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 guy, you know. But I remember my aunt telling me, she said, Jesse, that's not what the devil looks like. She said, if the devil was to walk into this room right now, and this is just what she told me, she, she said, he would be the finest looking fellow you ever saw. He would be dressed to the nine. I mean, just be as handsome as can be. And what she was trying to convey to me is, Satan don't come up to people and go, boo. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Because he's not just about there trying to hide behind a bush and jump out and scare you, you know. I got him, you know. He's not just some prankster at Halloween or something. No, he, his main objective is to trick you, to deceive you. And he's not going to do that with some red, you know, red horns and the whole thing. He's going to transform himself to, and therefore his ministers are also transformed into angels of light. They might look a lot like me. They might sound a lot like me. They might say some of the same things that I'm saying. In fact, how do you know I'm not a minister of Satan standing up here this morning? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, but, but, but that's what he says. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 says this. Beware, beware lest any man. Now, I'll say more about this in a minute. I'm going to be trying to stay mostly in the lane 
of religion and church doctrine, okay? Because I've only got a brief amount of time, so there's only so much I can cover. People often come and say, Preacher, did you think about saying this? I did. Uh, and maybe that would have been better said than something else I said, but I've only got a little bit of time in a message. But I appreciate y'all doing that because sometimes I didn't think of it. Beware lest any man. Because false prophets don't just have to be of the religious sort. Uh, you know, in, in other words, uh, here, here's a good example of that. Do you, how many of you right now, and don't, don't raise your hand, feel like the world is falling apart? That's the world. I mean, the, the world's falling apart. Well, if you have that perspective, there's a good chance that you might be listening to some false prophets. Now, I understand what I'm saying here. Not people that know God, claim to know God, but they're just giving their perspective. But if you know the Word of God, you know things are just falling into place. Right? So, beware lest any man, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. He says, uh, beware lest any man spoil you. Spoil is used for plundering a house, robbing a house, robbing a village as it were. It's also used of seduction. That's the term that comes up again and again in terms of false prophets and false doctrine. It's seductive. You know, I, I, think, I think about, for instance, I uh, often think this, this came to mind. I could think about a seductive woman or a man. I, I don't get seductive man, but I, I can imagine a seductive woman. But, I, but, but that's something I could think about. But I could also think about the seduction of, say, drugs and alcohol or, or an illicit lifestyle or whatever. Because here's the way I think, you know, generally speaking, you know, when, when, that, when that beer commercial comes on today, they're not going to come and say, hey, guess what? If you go drink and party with us, uh, man, you know what you can do? You can go out here and uh, have an accident and kill a whole family when you're driving drunk. And, and, and you're not going to see on the billboard, uh, you know, that person, and, and, and I'm telling you, man, I've seen it time and again in my own family, my own home. I, I, I've stood in the hospital room with people that are just colored uh, virtually orange or yellow, 38 years old, young, younger than me, eyes yellow, the whole thing, liver shot. That's not generally on the whiskey commercials, right? They're, they're, it's, it's seductive. It's trying to show you the, the good side, the fun side, the, the front side. But it's not showing you where this leads. That, that's kind of the idea of seduction. You know, a seductive woman, uh, you know, uh, trying to seduce you away from your home and your marriage. There, you see one thing on the front side, but what you, what you don't see on the back side is your whole life being ruined. Losing your family, losing your home, losing it all, right? What, whatever, there, there's, a, there's people that try to seduce the, your money, right? It's not just a sexual thing, but you they have the idea of seduction. Well, false doctrine is very seductive. And so, so, so spoil carries the idea of robbing, plundering, seduction, vain deceit. Vain deceit is intellectualism and high-sounding nonsense. Keep that in mind. High-sounding nonsense. All right, so what are they trying to do? Number one, we see it right here in Nehemiah. False prophets, false doctrine will lead you in the wrong direction. Remember, Nehemiah was working. He was going in this direction. Doing a work for God. Doing what God would have him to do. Building his life. God working. Then all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, Hey, 
Have you heard about the prophet? No, what, what's with the prophet? Uh, oh man, you've got to watch some of his clips. He's really cool. And he's shut up in his house over here. Okay, so Nehemiah has to leave what he's doing for God to come and say, so what's, what's, what's going on, Mr. Preacher? What's going on here? And what does he do? He says, I know you've been going this way, but we need to run and go to the temple now. We need to go in a different direction. See, false prophets will try to get you to go in the wrong direction. God had him moving forward. Shimeiah had him going to the side or going back. And by the way, if he had run away and hidden in the temple, it would have ruined Nehemiah's reputation forever. And so it was, there was a couple things behind this. And I'm telling you, false doctrine. The verse I read out of 2 Corinthians, he says, lest any man spoil you. Actually, that's Colossians. But, but many of these verses are talking about you. It's not talking about unsaved people. It's talking about saved people that can be affected by false doctrine. It does talk about unsaved people as well. And if you're here today and you're not saved, I promise you one thing, false doctrine will definitely take you in the wrong direction. Jesus said there's a broad way that leads to destruction and a narrow way that leads to life. And Satan would try to have you to believe that we're just a good enough person. That'll get you to heaven, you know, some false prophet, some false doctrine. But it's not so. Giving money to somebody, doing some religious act or ritual. But so it'll get you to go in the wrong direction. Notice a couple things in that regard. Number one, they appeal to fear. What did he say? They're going to kill you unless you go in this direction. He was appealing, trying to appeal to Nehemiah's fear. (laughs) How many of you know that Walking and living the Christian life can be scary sometimes. There's a reason the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 that it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Because folks, how, do you, how many of you know that sometimes the way God has you walk doesn't make sense to you? That which God tells us in His Word doesn't always make sense to us. And it can be kind of scary. It can be kind of scary putting God first in our family. It can be kind of scary putting God first in our homes. It can be kind of scary putting God first in our family and in our finances or whatever it is. And so if we're not careful, we can go out and try to find a doctrine. There's somebody out there that teaches something just like what you naturally want to believe if you lean to your own understanding. But the challenge is to overcome that fear and by faith say, I'm going to lean on God's. I'm going, I'm going to follow God. They appear to fear. They appeal to feeling. They appear to feeling. Appeal to feeling. In other words, well, I know God's Word says this, but I really feel this way about it. They appeal to fear, they appeal to feeling. Listen, God, when God wrote His Word, he, he, didn't, he, he didn't say, man, but I... God's not writing the Word of God, by the way, the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God, and saying, oh my goodness, I never had any idea we'd get to the 21st century. Uh, all right? God knows. God's Word's eternal. And God's Word is right. So they appeal to fear over faith. They appeal to feelings over faith. They appeal to our failings. All right? Uh, here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come 
when they will not endure sound doctrine. I keep using the word doctrine. We don't use that word every day. It just means teaching. It means what we believe. The stuff that we believe as, not just as Christians, doctrine is any kind of teaching, any kind of belief system. But sound doctrine. But he says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. All right? Uh, what's in, they're not going to put up with sound doctrine. But after their own lust, and lust isn't always sexual, it just carries the idea of desire. Desire. After your own desire, they will heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. So false prophets, false teachers, false doctrine, it appeals to our failures also. In other words, whatever my sin may be, I can find somebody out there that'll say, you know what, that's actually okay. That's just fine. I'm telling you, just about any sexual perversion you want to think of today, there's a church. Matter of fact, there's churches within driving distance today to where you can go that will embrace all kinds of perversion today. All right? So, but, but, but it says they heap to themselves teaching teachers having itching ears. This, isn't that a, that's an interesting analogy, isn't it? Itching ears. Gunner Hawker, you ever get an itch that you can't scratch? You know? And uh, you, you're somewhere on the back back there, and man, I don't know if I just got short, but I'm like the most unflexible person ever. And, uh, and, I, and I can't, but doesn't it feel good? And, and, I, and, I, and I know some of you guys, probably some of you girls too, man, you're just like an old bear against a tree, you know. You find some wall or something to, to get back. But doesn't it feel good when you finally get that itch scratched? Oh, my gosh. You know, like you're almost like a dog. Your leg will start going in the whole thing, you know. Um, well, that's the picture that God's trying to give right here. They'll heap to themselves teachers having itching. Tell me what I want to hear. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Right, that's the spot. You said that weirded me out. Me too. Sorry I did it. Um, <laughs> what's he doing? Um, but that's the picture, having itching ears. You, so in other words, that these false prophets, this false doctrine... These false teachers appeal to fear, feelings, and uh, our failures. Our word, our world, and, and I'm trying to get somewhere here. Our world is filled with preachers and teachers who would lead you in the wrong direction. Here you are, trying to do a work for God. You're like, hey, I, I see this. You know what? I'm embracing this call of God on my life. I'm embracing the fact that God has a plan and a purpose. Okay, that's the step I'm supposed to take. I'll do that. Great. And you take another step. And man, God is starting to build your life. God's making a difference in your life. We've got new converts in here. People that have been saved only a matter of months. That man, you're trying to follow and walk in those ways, but beware. Because I'm telling you, the enemy, there's doctrine out there that will try to lead you away after your own lust. And one particular influential group I want to talk about today because they they've, have such an influence on the church of today, if you will, is what's known as the emerging church. So again, what are they trying to do? Lead you in the wrong direction. So number one, lead you in the wrong direction. How would they lead you in the wrong direction? Number two, the wrong directive. Now, 
what you'll find is there's a reason that Nehemiah did not, there's a couple of reasons why Nehemiah was able to discern why this man was not of God. Because you want to know what this man was asking Nehemiah to do when he said, I want you to go into uh, past the burnt off altar and I want you to go into the sanctuary, into the Holy of Holies. You know what he was asking him to do? He was asking him to violate the Word of God. So not only was he trying to give him the wrong direction, he was given the wrong directive. And as I'll say in just a moment, that's one of the ways that we too can know that a prophet is wrong. When what they're telling you is contrary to the Word of God. But I'll just introduce you to a couple. The terms aren't important for you to remember, but I think the principles give the opportunity to show you where we are today. And listen to show us just how much some of us have even been influenced by the world that we live in today. All right. There was a, for for centuries, the world's primary influence was pre-modernism. In short, pre-modernism said that there is a truth. There is absolute truth and it has a supernatural source. There's absolute truth, and it has a supernatural source. Then came the Enlightenment, for you history students, or modernism. Modernism introduced, and by the way, the Enlightenment, one of the difference, by the way, between the American Revolution and the French Revolution, there's a lot, but when it comes down to the heart of the difference between the two revolutions, one was based on on pre-modernism, one was based on modernism or the Enlightenment. And that's why they was killing some fools like it wasn't nobody's business when you go and look at what was going on in the French Revolution. It was, it was a massacre. It was a mess. But it was because of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment sounds pretty good until you're the one getting killed, right? <laughs> it's like tolerance. Tolerance sounds pretty good until you're the one not being tolerated anymore. Um, and, but, but here's the thing, enlightenment or modernism, pre-modernism or modernism, okay, basically it's this, there is truth, and we can find this truth with human reason, no need for God, no need for the supernatural, now so for about, for about 250 years there was a strong influence of modernism or the enlightenment, and from that modernism or enlightenment, that's where fascism comes from. That's where Nazism comes from. Communism are all products of modernism. Well, people kind of saw, well, maybe that's not so great after all. So now we live in a postmodern world. You may not be familiar with the term, but you'll be familiar with this next sentence. There's truth, there may be truth, but we can't know it. That's postmodernism. In other words, it says that you have your truth, I have my truth. Oh, your truth is if I jump off the top of the church building, I'll break my leg? Interesting truth. My truth is I'm going to jump off the top of the church building and fly home this afternoon. That's my truth. I I, I use that as as an example uh, because one of the interesting things, remember I said that vain deceit is high-sounding nonsense? 
It's high-sounding nonsense because so much of these uh, postmodern arguments are self-defeating. Because as I'm saying, postmodernism says, no, no, there's no absolute truth. Everybody has their truth. Are you sure about that? Absolutely. That's the absolute truth. We all have our truths. You see what I'm saying? It's self-defeating uh, in its argument. That's why it's high-sounding nonsense, but, but that's the world we live in. Um, we live in a world where the truth is whatever you think it is. It's intuitive. It's, it's, it's experimental. But it's not universal. It's not knowable. That's the idea of the world that we live in. Now, I mentioned the emerging church earlier. The emerging church is a descendant of postmodernism. This ideology contends that it's arrogant. That it's arrogant to believe that one knows the truth. How dare you? Who do you think you are to say that you have the truth? That's not tolerant. And and instead, the truth is that the truth is only determined subjectively, being fashioned by culture and not by Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4 is very intuitive. Listen to what Paul says. But I fear, lest by any means, listen, as the serpent beguiled Eve. So he goes back to the Garden of Eden through his subtlety. So your minds, God's people, your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached... Did you know there's a bunch of Jesuses out there? Somebody says, I believe in Jesus. I ask you, well, which one is it? Um, oh, man, I, I've heard from the Spirit. Which one? Because he says, another Spirit which you have received, or another Gospel which you have not uh, accepted, you might bear with him. Now, we could unpack that verse for hours. We're not going to do so. But let's just go back to Satan's initial assault in the Garden of Eden, talking about false prophets. As the serpent beguiled Eve, what did he do in the Garden of Eden? The very first thing he had to do was this. God said, do not eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Don't, don't, don't eat of it. Everything else. Can you imagine that? A thousand trees, two thousand, five thousand, I don't know how many. Adam, man, have at it, buddy. Oh, just that one. Just leave that one alone, though. We were talking about it earlier, weren't we, Nellie, Chris? There's a good side of our wanting to go against arbitrary rules sometimes, I think. But there's just something about man that's like, that tree? We can miss all these around us. That tree? That fruit? Okay. But but, but here's what Satan come and did. All right? Because, again, he's appealing to what? He's appealing to that thought. He's appealing to that appetite. And he's, and, and, he's, and he's being seductive. And he says this, Yea, hath God said. So boys, y'all know your grammar pretty good, don't you? If God says, Thou shalt not eat of the tree of the garden, what's at the end of that sentence? What, what, what punctuation mark? Question mark, explanation point, period. Period. All right, that's correct, a period. But what Satan put at the end of it, hey, did God say that you can't eat of the tree? What's at the end of that sentence? Question mark. That simple. 
Satan puts a big old question mark. And what he's and, and Paul's literally saying, I'm concerned about you because your minds can be corrupted when Satan comes and puts a big old question mark where Satan, where God puts a period. Now, it is wise for us to ask questions, to learn, to, to, to be curious and try to learn the Word of God, ask questions in that sense, but that's not what Satan's trying to do here. He's trying to attack the very foundation. Uh, he's trying to attack the Word of God. Now, notice this. It doesn't just end there. First, you question the Word of God. What do we talk about? Is there truth? It's your truth. It's my truth. It's whatever truth. Big old question there. Further, Satan goes... God knows that ye shall be as gods. You'll be as gods knowing good and evil if you take of this tree. And God doesn't want that for you. Okay, so the questioning the word of God, the saying that you'll be as gods, I'll come back to that in a second. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, because there are many uh, false prophets going out into the world. Believe not every spirit. Somebody, and here's where we're getting back to Nehemiah. That prophet could say, Nehemiah, the spirit spoke to me. The spirit spoke to me and told me thus and such. Nehemiah can say, is that right? He told you to do what now? He said that you and I, not Levitical priest, not the, not the high priest, are able to go into a place that God said we ought not go. And to do something God said that we shouldn't do. So Nehemiah is able to right away say, so the Spirit told you that? Yes, the Spirit told you that. Nehemiah is able to say, okay, not God's Spirit. A Spirit may have well told you that. But it wasn't God's Spirit that told you that. Therefore, I'm not listening to you. See, the test of a false prophet or a true preacher or teacher of the gospel is do they agree with the Word of God or not? One emergent leader by the name of Brian McLaren, I could say a bunch of names, but he said this. He said that ambiguity is a really good thing. Ambiguity. What's ambiguity? Ambiguity is doubtfulness or uncertainty of signification from a word's being susceptible of different meanings or double meanings. Some emergent leaders believe that there's value in uncertainty about Scripture. The bottom line is that in the movement is that they believe that we aren't even supposed to understand precisely what the Bible means. So these, the, the emerging church, new false teachers, I'm talking about dudes with thousands in their church, best-selling books in Christian bookstores and in the Christian world, influencing the churches of the world. They believe that ambiguity is a good thing. They do not believe that, it's, that, that the Bible states absolute truth. And what this is, it's an attack on the clarity of Scripture. The word that was used in 2 Corinthians a moment ago was the simplicity that's in Christ. Folks, God's Word, I'm not saying it's not challenging, but the principles are fairly simple, what God wants us to understand. But see, they want to make it difficult. Why? Because in modernism, we talked about modernism earlier, the Enlightenment, the human mind trumps the Bible. There are still people that kind of believe that way. The human mind trumps the Bible. By the way, I, I say it, 
often, but I'm going to say it again because sometimes I think there may be someone listening that didn't hear me say it last time. But what happens as science advances? And what happens, I mean, the sciences, I could, should say, what happens as there's archaeological advances and geological advances and advances in, in, in the microscience world? You know what? The Word of God just comes higher and higher and higher. It is just confirmed again and again and again. But the postmodern idea says this. So modernism says the human mind trumps the Bible. But listen, there's Bible, quote-unquote Bible teachers out there today with a postmodern idea that mystery trumps the Bible. Mystery. It's at the very foundation an unwillingness to accept the clear teaching of Scripture. Everything is hocus-pocus. Everything has secret meanings. There's no just straight out, uh, it's all allegorical. It's not just the Word as it speaks directly to all mankind. So in other words, they say, well, it's not very clear. And by saying that it's not very clear, simple, then they can just set the Bible aside and guess who gets to be God now? Because if the Bible isn't the Word of God, whose Word is the Word of God? I get to be as a God now, knowing good and evil. I get to determine right, I get to determine wrong. You see how the whole thing goes. But folks, I'm telling you things that are bestsellers in the Christian world today and that are influencing many churches. Um, how about this one? You want, how about this now? Listen, I know that the Bible, that today there might be different people, uh, God speaking to you in different ways today. I understand that. But when people sit down, listen to this, when groups of born-again, Bible-believing Christians sit down, and I'm looking at some of us this morning, and we go over John 3.16, and then we say, we get to the end of it, and say, what is that saying to you? What do you mean, what's it saying to me? It's saying to me the same thing it's saying to you. It's saying to you the same thing it's saying to the whole world. You see that? You see how subtle that is? Now, it's not to say that, I don't read John 3, 16, and man say, man, I'm just thinking about how much God loves the world. To where you may be saying, well, I was just thinking about how, how awesome it is that he gave his only begotten son. I'm not saying that we couldn't kind of get something different out of the verse, but the point is, some people have changed this, and this entire Bible is now relegated to, what's it say to you? It's been relegated to the same truth of society. What's your truth? What is your truth in, in the Bible today? No, it's not... Your truth, it's God's truth. I'll give you another couple of things here, and I'm uh, going to be winding down. Okay, how about pragmatism? I'll, I'll say this one really quickly. Pragmatism stresses practical, practical consequences and values as standards for truth. In other words, pragmatism, if I had to phrase it, I would phrase it as whatever works. Okay, uh, here's the question in the pragmatic idea, okay? Does preaching what the Bible say about sin and judgment, yea, hell, does that appeal to the masses? Are there just people at home today saying, man, I'd really just love to hear something about judgment, sin, and hell today. I just, you know, no. Okay, no, so here's pragmatism. Pragmatism, okay? Does preaching what the Bible says about sin, judgment, hell, and okay, appeal to the masses? Okay, now, wait a second, preacher. 
aren't we supposed to be reaching the masses? Didn't Jesus tell us to go into all the world? And didn't so if that's not appealing to the masses, then isn't it counterproductive to preach that? So the goal is, okay, then, well, what's going to appeal to the masses then? Let's preach that. And that's where the grace of God gets turned into lasciviousness. And that's to where the Bible no longer... You ever look at churches or Christians and you wonder, think to yourself, how can they be doing that when it clearly violates the Word of God? Because they don't really care all that much about the Word of God. Because the Word of God, there's ambiguity there. Oh, it, that's what it means to you. That's what it means to you. Oh, one man, one woman for life. That's what that means to you. There's so many different things that could mean. <laughs> you know, God created them male and female. Oh, preacher, you have no clue. I mean, just think about the variety there in male and female. No, it's simple. It's right there. It's male and it's female. Okay, so the emerging church is not only unwilling to believe the clear statement of Scripture, but it's unwilling to take the clear statement of Scripture and confront the culture. It wants to, listen to this, okay, I'm trying to get done, but this will help you, you need this. It's trying to let the culture determine what Christianity should be. What do you want from a church? What do you expect from a Christian? What kind of Jesus do you want? What kind of gospel do you want? Okay, that's what we'll give you. Hey, and look, now it's full. And all these people are here. Okay, have they turned from their sin? Have they turned to Christ? Have they had their sins forgiven? Oh, well, you know, and by the way, I believe that's one of the reasons the hyper-Calvinism is getting so popular. And some of these, there's two things. I'm not going to go there. I'll just say it real quick. I believe that's one reason why among some of these universalism is popular, which means it doesn't matter where you believe, what you do, nothing, none, nothing else matters. You don't need the atonement of Jesus. Everybody's just going to heaven regardless. And then there's the other side that is hyper-Calvinism to where it says that God has already chosen who goes and who don't, so it don't really matter anyway. We're just going to keep doing our part to get everybody here and God's going to sort it all out. No, it's God's will that all men would come to Him. Jesus is the only way. He provided a simple, clear way for all men to be saved. But there's a reason why those two things are real popular. Um, the Bible does not change, folks. It's not a chameleon. It doesn't shift and change and adapt to culture. It confronts culture. It confronts an aboriginal culture. It confronts an ancient culture. It confronts a modern culture. It confronts every trend with fixed, unchanging truth in every situation. Whether in precept or principle, it confronts with clear Bible teaching and a biblical world view. You can say amen right there. Thank you. Because uh, the Bible confronts. The Bible's not scared, okay? So they have the wrong direction, the wrong directive, uh, the, the, the wrong dedication. Uh, man, I can't say much about that today, but they not, they're not putting much stock in the holy, are they? This prophet doesn't mind going, trespassing where God said we ought not go. And when we get to become the gods, and God's no longer revered and holy, and us reverencing Him, when we're the ones reverenced, then all of a sudden, holiness and appreciation toward God goes out the window. 
I wish I could tell you something about a contemplative prayer and some of these other things. But the, uh, the church, this, uh, this, the emerging church, introduces Eastern mysticism into Christianity. And introduces the way that the heathen pray to the way we're supposed to pray so that you can have some mystical union with God and the Spirit. And I'm not saying that through these kinds of prayers you won't have some kind of uh, mystical union with the Spirit, but I'm telling you, it's not the Holy Spirit. And it's not God with the, low, with the, with the, with the big G. All right, I'm, I'm going to give you this last point and let you go. Lastly, a winning dedication. A winning dedication. A winning doxology. A winning doctrine. What did Nehemiah say there in verse number 3? Or in verse number 2? Two, I think it was. He said, I'm sorry, 11, should such a man as I flee. Man, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to follow the wrong way. I'm going to keep following God. God's the one who saved me. Amen. God's the one who has called me. This precious book right here is how I heard the word of God come to Christ. It is everlasting. It is unchanging. It is infallible, inerrant. I'm not fleeing. I'm not coming down. I'm not going that route. Jude said that we should earnestly contend for the faith. Nehemiah said, I'm not going that route. He stood. The Bible says in Jude verse 1, But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Man, he prayed. He didn't play a contemplative prayer. He prayed to God. Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. In other words, keep working. Keep going the right way. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Let's all stand here today. If Barb would come this morning and play softly on the piano i got to ask you a question before I leave today, before we leave. i just got to ask you this question. Have you been led in the wrong direction? Have you been, this is the big question, have you been led in the wrong direction concerning your relationship with Jesus Christ? There's no greater thing that you can know today than to know that your sins, your sins that stand at enmity against God, offend a holy God but that your sins have been paid for on the cross of Calvary when Jesus took your death your hell your punishment on the cross he died there because the wages of sin is death but he rose again the third day so that you could be justified now let me ask you this question is that what you believe for your salvation is that what you believe is going to get you into heaven what accepting what Jesus did because I'm telling you a lot of what you're going to hear out in the world today many of you grew up hearing it am I wrong not by false deceitful workers but just by a lot of times good men or women that just were teaching what they taught they didn't know any better when they told you that your baptism is going to get you to heaven they they just didn't know many of them they they, they didn't know that just by saying being a part of this church they, they just telling you what they thought but I'm telling you the truth today. And the truth is, that's not going to get you to heaven. It's not getting them to heaven. It's not getting anybody to heaven. That's only through what Jesus did. So my question is, have you, 
For have you accepted Christ? Have you accepted the wonderful gift of salvation? If not, I invite you to do so today. Would you pray with me as we bow our head and close our eyes? Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has yet to receive the wonderful gift of salvation, that they would do so at this very moment by simply believing from their hearts and crying out from their hearts, Dear Lord Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sins, those sins that stand in opposition to you. God, I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want to turn to you today. I want you to come into my heart and life be my Lord and my Savior. Lord, right now in this moment, I receive the gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. I've said this many times, but if those are just words, they're just words. But if you could pray a prayer like that from your heart today, that's what it could take. That, the simplicity, the simplicity. So many people stumble over the simplicity. Hey, Christian, stay on alert, man. Every, every good thing that comes along looks good, sounds good. It may just be appealing to your fear. It may just be appealing to your feelings. It may just be, be appealing to your failures, your weakness, your sin. Make sure, try what you hear by the Word of God. I started off today by saying, how do you know that I'm not a false teacher? Try what you hear. I don't want you to take one thing I said today and say, okay, I guess that's true. Nope. You go try it. You go try it against this book. You go try it against truth. Amen? God bless you. Amen.